0: This is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. Longtime listeners of Big Talk, loyal listeners of Big Talk, know we love books. Books, personally, for myself, are, are my greatest possession. I, I'm not a guy who accumulates cars or jewelry or anything like that, but I do accumulate books. They're treasures to me. Living in Bloomington, with a number of bookstores here, there is the Book Corner, there is Morgan Sterns, and there is Caveat Emptor right on the square. We're pleased to welcome the brand new owner of Caveat Emptor, Dana Thompson. Dana, welcome to Big Talk. Thanks. Good to be here. Dana has just taken over the store. It has gone through about a, a, a nearly 10-year period of being on the verge of closing
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the original owner Janis starks uh, sold the brown couple who ran it for a few years and then they worried that it might close down and everybody in town really worried that caveat emptor might close down out of the clear blue <laughs> comes dana thompson dana
1: how did this come about Wow, that makes me sound like a lot more of a hero than I actually am. You are. I, You know, we were watching the same show that the rest of Bloomington was. We were watching the Browns ask for other people to, you know, step up and take over the store and come in and save the day. And when we saw that nobody was doing it, I, you know, I'm also quite a fan and have been a patron of Caveat for years and years. And I, I couldn't let that happen. So... Jared and I talked about it one day, my husband, and we said, is this something that we could do? Um, I've always been a bookish kid and grew into a bookish adult myself, and so it just seemed to be the right fit at the right time. Oh, you
0: bookworm, you.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I wear it like a badge of honor.
0: (laughs) You You should. Now, you mentioned Jared Thompson. You and he already are business owners Yes, here in Bloomington. The Comedy Attic. Yeah. So you know what it's like to run a business that depends on the public coming in and out. And they had better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We we keep joking that now we're trying to corner the break-even business in Bloomington. <laughs> so We're cornering the market on that, everyone. Watch out. Um, no, I mean, I can't believe we have been so lucky to be here in Bloomington with the Comedy Attic. I mean, 15 years... We opened that place in a time when clubs were closing all across the country. Um, Yeah, there was a huge (laughs)
0: explosion of comedy in the 80s and into the early 90s. And then there got to be this point where it was like too many. Yeah,
1: it was sort of an oversaturation. And so I, I think what made it work for us was that we weren't one of those old clubs that had been doing the same old thing and booking the same old acts for 30 years. um, We really wanted to have a voice that was more authentic to Bloomington and that um, was highlighting kind of a new age of comedy. And luckily that's what Bloomington wanted to do.
0: Well, uh, I guess we're going to do a little bit of comedy addict stuff here, of <laughs> course. Uh, but because that's the lead-in, it it, it it was your spring training, as it were, sure. for running a business. And you and Jared ran the business. And in fact, you got your fingernails dirty in that business. You were doing actual work there. I
1: did. Yeah, when we opened, we actually both were working full-time jobs oh. outside of that, which obviously was not ideal. And so Jared uh-huh. does that he runs the club full-time. I'm, I'm more kind of a behind-the-scenes person, but at one point, I was waiting tables and mixing drinks and doing whatever needed to be done on site, too.
0: I'm telling you, uh, you work in the service industry like that, and your feet let you know.
1: Yeah. I, I worked in the service industry long before the club opened, too. So honestly, it's a place that I feel right at home.
0: The comedy addict.
1: Yeah, or just in the service or, industry in general. Period. Yeah.
0: This experience of being a runner of the comedy addict didn't turn you off of the idea <laughs> that you should do, You weren't looking to become a, a rich person.
1: <laughs> no, I'm still not looking to become a rich person. Um, you know, one of the things that Jared and I talk about and I talk about to other people who don't know Bloomington very well, is that this place is unique in that the people who live here and call this home really care about what happens in this town. Yeah, um, There is a sense of community here that I have not had in other places that I've lived in, even other college towns that I've lived in. People want to invest in and grow and make it better, but, it, but still want it to feel like home. And I think that kind of drives some of the things that that we do in our lives is that, you know, we want to continue to live and work and retire in a place that feels like home.
0: Well, uh, you mentioned that you've been in other places. And before we started recording, you mentioned that you were here a couple... Decades ago. You came here a couple of decades ago. Yeah. Tell us, uh, how long ago did you come to Bloomington and why?
1: Yeah, we came here 20 years ago now, which is crazy to think about. Um, and I came, like many people did, to go to grad school. uh uh-huh. <laughs> And I dragged Jared here with me and when i was getting ready to graduate we didn't know where we were going to land he oh. his mom was living in michigan his dad was living out east my family was mostly down south and so we said you know let's give it a year and see what happens and 20 years later you can't get rid of us that's a long year yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> well as you have mentioned i mean even as far back as 2006 uh, you had what we call a day job and you're still doing it. Yes. You must uh, You must have a lot of energy. You must drink a lot of coffee. I do
1: drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I think it helps, too, that I really love my job. I um, Currently, I'm working for IU Health in their community health department as an Alzheimer's and dementia educator. Uh-huh. So I get to work with people who are living with dementia and their care partners and with the community to make Bloomington a better place to age and a more accessible place for all of us to thrive. And I often tell my clients in no other job would I even be allowed to sit at the tables that I'm at because I get to work with you know, professors and lawyers and brilliant, brilliant
0: minds um, day in and day out. Do you get to do actual counseling with clients?
1: i would say that i use my counseling skills so that's Uh, what my my graduate degree is in
0: (laughs) but you have done that yeah
1: yeah it's it's more social work in nature than just strictly counseling so it's Uh a lot of helping people to understand their diagnosis um, helping them to learn to navigate the challenges that are set before them connect to resources and um, ultimately for a lot of them to be able to advocate and educate on their own behalf
0: it, it, it's a very baffling syndrome to have, Alzheimer's and dementia. I mean, there's there's got to be this uh, this horrible, frustrating puzzlement that you experience when it starts uh, yeah. uh, manifesting itself.
1: I think that there certainly can be, and sometimes for people getting a diagnosis is a relief <laughs> because I say, oh, well, now there's a reason uh-huh. for this and I can understand it and move forward. I think there is a lot of stigma that's attached to attached to dementia in the world. Um, And oftentimes, you know, when we have nursing students or, you know, people that come in from the outside and kind of see what we do, the feedback I always get is, wow, I thought this was going to be depressing, but this was so much fun. (laughs) I think that people don't realize that after a diagnosis, there's still joy, there is still you know, skill that people retain. There's so, still so much left that people can give the world. And I think if I can help people see that in themselves, my job is done.
0: Now, in case anybody's got any uh, questions or wants some information, yeah. uh, go to alzresourceindiana.org and learn about some of the wonderful services that are given to people who Maybe are just on the verge of uh, getting Alzheimer's or dementia or are questioning whether it's going to happen. Does it happen to everybody? There's probably a million questions.
1: Yeah, we do a lot of stuff about brain health, too. So people that don't have a diagnosis are welcome to come talk to us. Um, And one of the really cool parts about that job is that all of our services are free. Um, and that's not something you get to say in healthcare very often.
0: Oh, my golly. <laughs> so. Well, that is terrific. Community health. There yeah. you go. You do have this day job. It takes up, I, I don't know how many hours you work, maybe 40, whatever. Does that mean that you don't have any time to spend at the store?
1: No, actually, right now I'm there um, on Tuesdays. So. We're recording this on a Tuesday. I'll head over there after this, um, and
0: punch that clock here and
1: there uh, when I can around the rest of my my job. Uh, for for me, that part of my life doesn't really feel like work.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's yeah. kind of what I get to do for fun later on.
0: <laughs> well, the good thing about caveat mTOR, and again, uh, we're speaking with the new owner, Dana Thompson. Thompson uh, of the Thompson clan, uh, who also <laughs> owns uh, Comedy Attic. Uh, they, You guys are institutions here now. You you, you, thought it would be a year that you were here, and now you're like there's going to be statues to you two at some point.
1: That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> um, <laughs> we just want, you know, like I was saying before, we just want this to be the kind of place that we want to live and whatever we can do to, to support that from – from our perspective, we'll do. And then we'll leave the rest up to the rest of you guys.
0: <laughs> now, you recently bought this uh, store, Caveat mTOR, a long-standing store. So the wheel was invented already. You, you, it, it, The work was done, and they handed you the keys. Was it that simple?
1: Yes and no. <laughs> I think, in part... We have inherited an institution in this town, and I keep saying I don't feel like the owner of this store. I feel like the current steward of Caveat Emptor.
0: What a way to look at it. I
1: feel like this is a place that people already know that they have loved for 52 years before we ever came into the picture. And the things that Giannis built and the things that Eric and Katie built um, are important and have made the store what it is today.
0: Caveat mTOR was founded in 1971 by, as you mentioned, Giannis Starks. Mm-hmm. Giannis Starks and four other people Yes, at that time. And through the years, uh, several of those people dropped out. And uh, toward the end of Janis's reign, uh, there was just Giannis and a fellow named Don Wilds mm-hmm. left. And boy, I remember, this is about 2015, 2016, it was like, oh no, the place is going to close. Because Giannis was, uh, I'm not going to insult him by saying this, he knows he's long in the tooth.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He did his time.
0: (laughs) He did his time. And he wanted to relax a little bit uh, Mm -hmm. as well. And he thought he was going to have to close down. And lo and behold, the Browns came along. Mm -hmm. Out of a clear blue sky, as you. When you were talking with the Browns, was there like an extended negotiation? Like, we want this, and you said, well, we'll give you that, that type of thing. Uh,
1: There's always a little of that, I think, in making a deal. Um, From my understanding of it, though, they actually had other offers on the business that they turned down. And I think one of the things that made this as smooth as it was, was that we were kind of speaking the same language about what caveat is. Huh. Is that, you know, there are certainly ideas that I have had as, you know, if you've been in the store, you've seen it looks a little different <laughs> these days. But what was always important to me was that we keep the, the original vision, kind of the spirit of the store intact. And that, that was really important to Eric and Katie too. And I think when they could hear that that was something genuine from our perspective – we had a deal.
0: So for the one or two people who listen to this program who <laughs> don't know what is for sale in Caveat MTOR, what is for sale in Caveat MTOR? tour
1: So we only deal in used and rare books at uh-huh. Caveat. Most of what's in the store um, is not super rare. A lot of that stuff these days is being sold online, uh-huh. although we still do have quite affordable Treasures in uh-huh. there. Um, when Giannis opened the store, I think a lot of the inventory that they had then, and still a lot of what remains, came out of his own academic interests, which are which are varied. <laughs> I mean, he speaks so many different languages and has so many different interests. And and that was really reflected in the store and the foreign language and the politics and and all of these things that make Giannis who he is, right? And what a music
0: um, lover he is. Yes. Goodness.
1: Lo- lots of music, literature. I mean, y- you can kind of see his soul when you walk through the store in a manner of speaking. And I think that remains really important to us because I think – You know, being the town that Bloomington is, we do have a lot of deep thinkers here. And we have a lot of um, very well-read people that aren't just looking for the next bestseller Uh (laughs) here in this town. Um, And those folks are always going to find something in our store. I think something that we are really trying to work hard on now... um, since I have taken over, is also appealing to kind of a more casual reader. So somebody who enjoys these things but maybe doesn't have that depth of academia mm. or the interest in those things that, that some of our more loyal customers have. And I want both of those people to feel at home when they walk in the
0: store. I know when I came in on opening day, which uh, happened to have been St. Patrick's Day uh, <laughs> last month, Uh, I was able to find a couple of copies of uh, books by P.G. Woodhouse that I didn't even know existed, and I I I was really thrilled to get a hold of those. (laughs) Not easy stuff to find uh, at at typical, normal, big-box bookstores, whatever big-box bookstores are left these days.
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
0: Now, did you actually buy the inventory from the Browns.
1: Yes. So we actually bought over 50,000 books. That was their estimate. It may have been more than that. So we bought the majority of their inventory. They still do some online book sales um, of the more rare variety. And so I think some of that was already theirs before they ever bought the store. So they kept some
0: stuff. They kept some
1: stuff, but by and large, um, we purchased their inventory. Um, prior to opening, we also did a couple of very large buys. One in particular, where we purchased over two thousand books from an estate. An um, estate?
0: Mm-hmm. You mean a private person had a library, and you yeah. and this person unfortunately probably died, right? He did. That's how it works.
1: Yes, and he was he was um, kind of a prominent guy at IU, and so he had a wealth of. Every genre you can think of from home organization to philosophy to native jewelry to erotica. (laughs) I mean, we were kind of all over the map, but everything was really great quality. And so that lent a lot to what we have in the store now.
0: Did you uh, lasso Jared into doing hard labor for you? I did. (laughs) And was he happy about it?
1: Yeah, and he'll tell you about it if he's in the store when you come in, that he alphabetized all the paperback mysteries and biographies himself.
0: (laughs) Knowing Jared Thompson as I do, yes, he would do a fine job (laughs) alphabetizing. He did a great job. (laughs) (laughs) What fun. Now, what about people working for you?
1: Yeah, we are really lucky. We have a staff of four, so we're not a huge place. Um, people that have been coming to the store for years will probably recognize at least one face, which is uh, John McWigan. Good old John. So, yeah, he's been working at the store over 20 years now and is a huge asset to us in kind of learning the ropes of this business. Um, and learning get, about
0: rare books. I get the feeling he's one of those guys who doesn't even have to look up in an inventory whether you have a book or not. You'll say, do you have such and such? And he'll go, oh, yeah, it's right over here.
1: Probably. I I imagine I made that a little harder by moving some things <laughs> around in the store. <laughs> but John is just one of those guys who, through his own experiences and maybe osmosis throughout the years, knows a lot about a lot. Um, from folklore to music to race car driving. <laughs> he he is definitely a jack of all trades, and I'm so thankful he chose to stay on with us.
0: He, like Jared Thompson, is a big baseball fan. Yes. Although he likes the Philadelphia Phillies, and well, we'll forgive him for that.
1: Could be worse. Could be worse. Could be <laughs> the New York Mets. <laughs> or hey. the Cardinals. Ugh. Oh, <laughs>
0: What book are you reading right now?
1: So I, I tend more toward the fiction world ah. just because I read a lot of nonfiction for work. Um, so currently I'm reading American Gods. Neil Gaiman. That's the one. Yeah. So I had never read it before somehow. It had passed me up for a decade. So I'm finally getting into that and really enjoying it. I'm, I'm a big sci-fi fan. Um, so. You know
0: what's huge in the new bookstores, uh, stores that sell new books. It is a phenomenon, Colleen Hoover. Yeah. She. You look at the New York Times bestseller list, and she might have eight or nine titles every single week on the fifteen-title list, which is unheard of. Do you have any Colleen Hoover? Honestly, I'd have to check the shelves.
1: <laughs> um, I'm not sure that we have any of her things right now, but I'd imagine they'd move pretty quick if we did. Possible, um, yeah. We do get a lot of those kind of best sellers through the store, though. You know, people tear through those kind of books. They're beach reads. They move through them fast, and then they bring them in for us. So right. we're happy to be the recipients of those things.
0: <laughs> now, can anybody come in and say, hey, I got a box of books here? You want to buy them?
1: Theoretically, yes. Um, We always recommend that people call ahead and talk with us a little bit about what they want to sell before they just haul the box down so that we can let them know, hey, here are things that are probably worth your time to bring in. Uh Um, Don't
0: waste your time, in other words. So we
1: do purchase books. Uh-huh. We also do trade, so people can come in and um, often get more in-store credit than they can in cash yeah, for yeah. their things. Um, and surprisingly, we have a lot of people who donate
0: books. Just like that. Here, take Just it. Just like
1: that. They walk in and say, I came in to buy books, but I need to make room on my shelf. These are for you. And we say, thank you very much. Feel free to look around. So
0: Now, Dana Thompson, new owner of Caveat MTOR, uh, When I was younger, I kept every single book I ever bought, ever read, ever hoped to read. And after a few moves, I came to the conclusion, this is nuts. Yes. Moving literate people is is, is hellish in a lot of ways. (laughs) So I keep at home a core library, about 200 books. How about you? What do you have at home?
1: Boy, that's a big core library. Um, I do the same thing. I used yeah. to keep every book, and now I keep the ones that are really special to me. So right. I have quite a collection of leather-bound Agatha Christie that I keep. Um, I have a really early edition Jane Eyre that Jared got me for Christmas one wow. year, um, which is my favorite book of all time. Um, I have an old copy of Dracula, which is another favorite of mine. Uh-uh. And then more in more current literature I had been really into the Louise Penny books. Uh-huh. Um the Canadian kind of historical murder mysteries and so I have that entire series.
0: How about The Modern Prometheus Frankenstein? I'm saying it in the in the way that Mel Brooks's movie would have yes. said it. Uh have you read that one
1: yet? I have and actually <laughs> I was just given an old illustrated copy of Frankenstein that is worth, I suspect, quite a pretty penny. So John and I are taking a look at that right now, and you may see it in the store soon. <laughs> are you
0: having fun?
1: I'm having so much fun. I think there there's a lot in my other job that requires uh, constant problem-solving and people skills and thinking ahead. And so it's really nice for me on the days that I can walk into the store, lose myself completely in something else, or kind of focus on the the concrete task of making the store ready for people to come visit.
0: I assume you're not serving drinks anymore over at the comedy attic.
1: Oh, no. I haven't done that for quite a few years now. I, I'll fill in here and there if they need me, but... With two kids and all this going on, that's it's a lot to keep up with.
0: <laughs> I also understand that uh, one, two, or three people work at both places.
1: Yeah, so we have two employees that um, have worked at the Comedy Attic. So if you come into Caveat, you may, you may recognize Alex and Maddie. We also have another employee who stayed on. From the time that Eric and Katie owned the store, whose name is Michael, he's a local IU accounting student that has also just been a great breath of fresh air in that store. He is so full of enthusiasm for both keeping things the way they've always been and trying out new things. So it's been really great to have this mix of people who I feel like really understand what makes the store special and who I can trust.
0: Now, let me take you back 20 years to when you first arrived in Bloomington. Could you have envisioned a day where you were going to both own a comedy club and a bookstore?
1: Not in a million years. Yeah. (laughs) I have always wanted to own a bookstore, but I never thought I'd be able to pull it off, especially in a town like this, which has some great bookstores. I was never going to open my own. Yeah. So this opportunity really allowed me to live out that, that dream.
0: Now, an interesting thing, uh, I, having been working in a bookstore since I arrived in this town, know that people come in and say, oh, it must be wonderful to work in a bookstore in a college town. All the students come in and want to read books. And I have found that's not true. Students are busy with textbooks, with assignments, with uh, papers and essays.
1: Mm. I've been really encouraged, though, by the number of younger people coming into the store. Uh Uh-huh. I was a little worried that it would be kind of people my age and older that eventually would not be able to be customers anymore and would be a dying business. But that hasn't been my experience. Those people do come in, but we have a lot of younger patrons, and it's making me feel pretty hopeful. What kind of work
0: did you have to do to the physical plant? Whew.
1: Well, a lot of that work was done by the folks that own the building. They have replaced the lights. They've they've done a lot of work on the HVAC system and cleared out the basement. From our end of things, it was just a lot of manual labor. When the store was considering closing, they had their clearance sale and right. sort of stocked the shelves with everything not priced or labeled or alphabetized or organized in any way. It was all just kind of miscellaneous at the front of the store. So a lot of it was just sorting, pricing, reshelving.
0: The new owner of Caveat MTOR, Dana Thompson, who along with her husband, Jared Thompson, also owned the Comedy Attic. Dana, thanks for being on Big Talk.
1: Thanks.